Uh, hey, if you've got a copy of God's Word, go to Colossians 2. And while you're headed there, let me remind you that uh, two weeks from today is a very special day for our church family. We are calling it Celebration Sunday that morning. In fact, you saw this in your seat. Uh, we don't just put this here because you're forgetful, though that is true as well. Uh, but we put this there because we want to equip you to invite someone to join us. Uh, we want to pack this room out in both of our services as we just celebrate the good work that God is doing in our church. That is going to be a day where really we just share the vision and mission of our church family in those morning services. So please come and be a part of that. We're excited uh, to celebrate together. And then that evening at 5 p.m., uh, we're going to be right here in this room celebrating our 20th birthday. Are you pumped about that? You should be if you're not. That's not pumped enough, but you've got two weeks, all right? So work on getting excited. This place, we're going to have it decorated. We're going to have some awesome food. I know you're excited about food, right? Uh, so we're going to have some great food. We're going to have some just great time sharing about the past, present, and future of our church. Pastor Brad and I are going to have some time together. It's going to be kind of like a podcast, uh, you know, where just two guys are talking, right? Brad, is that what we're going to do? Yeah, it's going to be very good. Uh, we're all, we've practiced it four times, and we've got it down to about three and a half hours worth of content. So, uh, And about two hours and 45 minutes of that is Pastor Brad. So... Uh, <laughs> No, we, we really are excited about it. We, we did spend some time this week talking about that night. We're just excited to, to be able to share with you. So please make plans two weeks from today. You don't want to miss that. Even if you, you say, well, maybe, man, we've been here like six months or, or a year. We, we don't, you know, we don't feel like, listen, if, you, if, you, if your first Sunday is September 18th that morning, we want you to come back and celebrate what God has done and is doing. Because if you have ever walked through the doors back there, I want to tell you something. You're part of our story. You're part of our story. So let's come and celebrate that here in a couple weeks. Well, with all that said, let's dive into Colossians chapter 2. After a week in Psalm 1, thinking about what it means for us to be rooted in God's Word, we're returning here uh, to the root passage for our series, Rooted. And what we're going to discover today is why it is so critical and important that you and I stay rooted in the truth of God's Word and rooted in Christ. The winds of the world are always blowing. There is always chaos and confusion in our culture, Temptations are always luring us away. A false teaching exists inside and outside of the church, wooing us away from what is right and what is true. And I think it's important that we take a moment to recognize that this passage here in Colossians 2, this really this whole letter, Colossians, was a real letter from a real pastor written to a real church. So this isn't some vague thing that some guy put together thinking, hey, maybe in like 2,000 years and 6,000 miles away from where we currently are, this could be relevant for them. No, this was very specifically written from a concerned pastor to a church for which that pastor had great concern. False teaching was coming into this church. The winds of the world were blowing and people were in great danger. So like a good pastor should... We find here Paul writing with some deep concerns, warning them of the dangers. And in the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about what these dangers are. Because in God's providence, the wild thing is, is as the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write it, though it was from a specific pastor to a specific church, the Lord knew that a couple thousand years later, and yes, a little over 6,000 miles, I actually Googled it, 
That's if you fly there. So it's, uh, I tried to do driving directions. Apparently, that's not possible. Uh, not a big flying fan. So not going to Colossae anytime soon. We're just going to put that out there. But God knew that here we are 6,000 miles away, 2,000 years later, we would be in this position to glean and learn from the timeless word of God together. So our situations are, are different, yet we too find ourselves inundated with false teaching inside and outside of the church. And in clear and powerful ways, Paul is going to show us the way to be firmly planted in Jesus Christ. So I'm excited to study this text, and we've got a lot to do this morning. So let's read and pray and ask for the Lord's help as we dive in. Colossians 2, starting in verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this magnificent text, and I pray, God, that we will uh, do it justice as we ponder it together. I, I feel like we could probably spend weeks and weeks and months even trying to get all that is here, but Lord, I pray that in this short time together, you would make this text come alive to us in such a way that it changes us today and helps us sink our roots deep down into who you are. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for saving us. May we live and walk and be rooted in that salvation today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, the spirit of the age is a very popular topic in modern culture. Pastors and ministers have often lamented about the dangers of the spirit of the age and how it affects us on a daily basis. And by the way, that is a good and wise thing to do. Yet I've been kind of wondering this week, how do you define the spirit of the age? People talk about this spirit of the age. Or the how do you define that? We talk about the characteristics of this spirit, cynicism, bitterness, anxiety, all, you know, again, cynicism, skepticism, all the isms, right? Like all these things, hate, arrogance. Really what maybe we could just do is sum it up as the works of the flesh, right? But, but here's the reality. In every age, there tends to be different characteristics that mark the spirit of the age, right? Like, it has variants built into it by the fact that it's called the age. So this is why pastors, myself included, would do well not to spend all of our time talking about these various characteristics. 
Now, to be clear, pastors are certainly called to address the modern issues that would distract us and pull us away from our roots. And if you're here regularly, you would know that we take time to do that from time to time. But I want you to see today in this text that while Paul clearly mentions and highlights the spirit of the age, he is then going to spend the bulk of his time running to the cross of Christ. So we don't want to just talk about the symptoms of sin all the time or the disease and the chaos of our culture. It's easy to do that. But as a minister of the gospel, the charge that God has given me is to point you to the remedy. And it's a lot easier just to be like, all this is bad and all this is terrible. And there's a lot of preachers that make their living doing that. And y'all say, amen, I listen to them all the time. I wish you'd be more like them. Well, sorry, guys, I'm going to take the biblical approach. My email is rusty. I'm giving you my email. Rusty at crossroad.live. Come on. So we do want to point out these dangers, but as we're going to see in this text, most importantly, I'm going to point you to the cross. But like Paul does, let's start in verse 8 with talking about the danger of the spirit of the age. The danger of the spirit of the age. So after verses 6 and 7, do you remember this is two weeks ago? I'm asking you to go way back in the memory banks, okay? Two weeks ago, we talked about what it meant to be rooted in Christ, to know Christ, and to be growing in Christ through being connected to his word. So right after Paul has said, man, this is the call. Stay rooted. Stay knowing Jesus and growing in Jesus. Stay connected to his word. The very next thing he says is be careful for the distractions of the world. Look at verse 8 again. It says, See to it that no one takes you captive by empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. This is where I'm using this phrase, the spirit of the age, to talk about this human tradition and the elemental spirits of the world. You need to know I'm not talking about a living spirit, some kind of force or presence. I think we love to kind of quasi-spiritualize things. I love that the New American Standard in a very literal translation says the elemental principles of the world. So certainly we believe in Satan and we believe that demonic influence is very real in this present world. But these elemental principles of the world, while certainly having a spiritual aspect to them, I don't want this to just stay in the abstract for us, right? Like I think it's easy for us to be like, yeah, all those spiritual things, the darkness and stuff. But in a very real sense, he's saying there are real practical things in this world that you and I, if we're not careful, can be sucked into. This text is going to tell us a few things about this spirit of the age. First, we see that it's deceptive. It's deceptive. The text says empty deceit. I love the way the NIV translates it. It says deceptive philosophy. The spirit of the age sounds just right enough to trick us. That's why if you go back to verse 4, Paul said, hey, beware of plausible arguments. Teachers who come to you with plausible arguments. You know, the, the reality is false teaching today in our world comes at us most of the time. Now listen, we got some real crazy people out there, okay? And sometimes yeah, like you don't even have to have much of a church background to say, this seems off. But can I tell you as a pastor, the most dangerous false teachers that I think are out there are the ones that sound plausible, like Paul would say. The ones that use just enough scripture to sound right. 
The spirit of the age works in the same way as Satan when he talked to Eve in the garden and even when he talked to Jesus in the desert. Both times, you remember what Satan is doing? He's manipulating and twisting Scripture. He's giving them half-truths that sound legitimate. When it sounds reasonable and good, we can find ourselves falling for it. In fact, it's not even just sounding good. Can I tell you what happens to us in 2022? It just feels good, right? If it feels good and sounds true enough and it said the word Jesus on it, we just cling to that. Yes! But we need to know that the spirit of the age is deceptive. We can just dress up the spirit of the age in religious language and it deceives us. The text says that it's deceptive, but also it tells us that it's empty. I love again the way the NIV translates it. It says, don't be taken captive by hollow and deceptive theology. I love that word hollow and not just because it throws back to our metaphor of the tree and being rooted. But the idea is that the spirit of the age may look good, seem good, feel good, but ultimately, friends, it is empty. There's no substance on the inside. It's just fluff. But ultimately, according to this text, so it deceives us, it is empty, but the spirit of the age ultimately enslaves us. This phrase, taken captive, says, see to it that no one takes you captive. That phrase was used to talk about cargo stolen from a ship. Don't have your hearts and minds captured by the deceptive and empty philosophies of this world, the spirit of the age will quickly enslave you before you even know it. I'm afraid today, friends, that, that many believers and even many churches are enslaved to the hollow and deceptive philosophies of this world. And the tragedy, again, is that most people don't even know it. We come to church, we play the part, and we even believe that we're disciples of Jesus, yet if you look at our lives, we're so wrapped up in the world, we're enslaved by the elemental principles of the world. We live our lives according to human tradition, not according to the Word of God. The spirit of the age is a great danger to us today. So what are we to do? Well, I think many preachers at this point, and I'm not too proud to admit that I, I fall into this sometimes myself, would rail against what these teachings are. What is the spirit of the age? Well, let me identify several characteristics of it that are affecting us today and go off on those for a little while. And then I'm going to try to creatively and winsomely tear apart every one of those arguments and show you the emptiness and the deceitfulness and the fact that these are actually enslaving us. And I would expose the truth of these dangerous worldly philosophies. And I know that if I were to do that today, there would be a handful of you that would probably be offended by that teaching. But I got to tell you that by and large, especially in our church and I think in the modern church, there are many who would say, yes, that is so awesome. We have been waiting on you to be bold, pastor, and start standing up to these worldly philosophies. It's really easy to find yourselves becoming an issues-driven pastor because church people love it. But what I want to tell you today is that we don't see this modeled in Scripture anywhere. 
Jesus lived in the midst of a corrupt and oppressive government. Like, do some research on the Roman government. Do you remember that talk Jesus said when he took down Rome in that epic three-chapter? Oh, no, he didn't, did he? I don't remember that. Not only did he live in the midst of a super oppressive government system, but can I tell you, he lived in a really, really messed up religious system and walked in the midst of that all the time. Do you remember that super huge epic takedown that he had of the religious establishment? No. In fact, what I remember is him saying, this is about as deep as it got. You ready? I know you don't like this, but I'm going to keep going because this is the Bible. Jesus said, you have heard it said that fill in the blank. And that was the religious establishment's phrase. You've heard it said this. Now let me tell you why that is just foolishness and hogwash. That's not what he said. You've heard it said, fill in the blank, but then what did he say? But I say to you. Jesus is constantly pressing in and, yes, maybe identifying it and addressing it briefly, but then what he's doing is offering a better invitation. Saying, this is the way the world's living, but, but listen, there's something better. You say, well, Rusty, listen, that's Jesus. You're not Jesus, so bring those issues on, brother. Well, can I tell you, let's go to the Apostle Paul. Man, Paul has these guys right where he wants them, doesn't he? Like, man, verse 9, he has laid them bare, and he is ready to pour it out on them, isn't he? And surely, if anybody could do it, it would be Paul, right? Like, like Paul is the one who has extreme education. As you can tell, he wrote most of the New Testament, the gifted writer and debater, you see that in the book of Acts. If anyone is prepared to demonstrate a solid takedown of false teaching, it would be him. He's got them in his crosshairs right where he wants them. In verse 9, he can just tear them apart. But instead, I want you to look at your Bibles, friends, because what happens after one verse, clearly identifying and marking the spirit of the age and worldly philosophy, Paul then turns his attention to the antidote to the spirit of the age. And the antidote to the spirit of the age is Christ. So one verse saying there's false teaching out there, there are worldly philosophies out there, and then we get 9 through 15 that is going to point us to Jesus. I love this, guys. When you look at the epistles, Paul very I, I wish we knew more about what the false teachings were in the New Testament church. You can read some commentaries, and can I tell you, they've got lots of somewhat educated guesses. But we don't really know ultimately because Paul rarely addresses specifically what the issues were, but what you're going to consistently see him do is lift up the cross of Christ. So that's what I want us to do as we continue in this message so excited to teach this passage because it's so good the colossians were being bombarded with this message that the blessed life or the filled life is found in intellectual assent and doing or knowing more trying to obtain some sort of greater spiritual experience and if we're not careful we find fulfillment in these same things but paul's going to stop down in this letter to make sure everybody understands you have everything you need in christ 
everything. You are full. You are complete in him because of his work on the cross. So I want to walk through this text together and point to these truths from God's word. First, we see this, Christ in you. Christ in you. Look at verse 9 again. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Oh, don't miss this truth, guys. I say this very often, and this is the source text for this statement that I use regularly. The fullness of God dwells in Jesus, and the fullness of Jesus dwells in you because of the Holy Spirit. Oh, I just breathe that reality in. God, the Holy Spirit, resides in you. And listen, he, he's not a B-team God. The Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, God the Spirit resides in us. And this is a work of God. It's not like you can say, this isn't like a you-go-girl or you-go-guy moment. This is the fact that despite us, God takes residence in us. The fact that you and I are studying the Bible and understanding it is proof of that today. This is the primary role of the Holy Spirit, by the way, to impart the truth of God's word to us. He's not the one in charge of our feelings and emotions and experiences. That's what most of the world would tell us today. He is the arbiter of truth. If you don't agree with me, just ask Jesus. In John 16 and 17, consistently, he's saying that the Holy Spirit is the one who illuminates God's truth for us, and he is here working even right now. But here's what's wild. That same Holy Spirit, remember, the Holy Spirit doesn't just reside in this room and when I'm preaching, the Holy Spirit resides in you. So when you open up your Bible, can I tell you what is happening? God is meeting you there and the Holy Spirit is helping you understand, comprehend, apply, and live his word on a day-by-day, moment-by-moment basis. The Bible teaches us that the moment we are saved, the Holy Spirit of God resides in us. He is given to us as a seal of our salvation. And hear me when I say this, friends. He doesn't leak. The seal is good. If you are in Christ, you are in Christ, saved and secure through the power of the Holy Spirit. And day by day, he is illuminating God's truth to us. So while I certainly work to prepare the messages every single week, hours spent preparing and pouring over the scripture, hoping to teach the word in an effective way, you need to know that he is the one who is illuminating the truth of God's word to me. And then when we open our Bibles together, it is the Holy Spirit who is illuminating the truth of God's word. This is a great blessing for pastors to know, friends. Oh, if it was up to me for you to understand God's word, then I have to be the most creative, dynamic, incredible pastor in the world. And let me just tell you, I ain't. I don't even know grammar. It's obviously, you know, you don't have to listen for long to know. But the Holy Spirit of God is the one who imparts his truth to us. Oh, friends, 
What a privilege it is to open the word together and let the Holy Spirit of God speak to us. To let his truth come alive in our hearts and minds. So with his help, let's continue to press in. So we have Christ in you. The second thing that we see is that in Christ, we are set apart. Look at verses 11 and 12 with me again. It says, In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Now listen, I just need to apologize. If you don't have a church background, uh, things just got a little bit weird. We're talking circumcision at like 9.30 in the morning. In the Old Testament, though, you need to understand that one of the distinguishing features of God's people, the Israelites, was circumcision. This was a physical way for them to be set apart from the rest of the people in the world. And listen, not to be crass, but this obviously required some commitment. Like a couple of verses of just as I am and a Billy Graham message ain't going to do it. I was down here sharpening a sword or a rock and saying who wants to come I said not to be crass and I've gotten a little crass but but imagine the the seriousness of this so the reason I do this is because I I want you to ponder and reflect on the reality that, that in the same serious commitment that that required when Paul brings up circumcision and talks about the circumcision of the heart and the circumcision of the body of the flesh, oh, how much more serious should that be? The good news today is that in the New Testament, we are not bound to the ceremonial Jewish law that has been fulfilled through Christ. So we do not have a physical circumcision cutting away part of our physical flesh, but the text says that instead we cut off the body of flesh. We should be set apart from the world in the way in which we live. Everything in our life should be different than the world. We live by a different set of standards. We live for a different kingdom than this world. Why? Because verse 12 says we have died to our old way of life. We have died And we were buried with Christ. We've been raised with him. This mentions baptism. Baptism is the outward act of the inward response. So when you are baptized, what we are saying is that the old you has died, you have been buried with Christ, and you have risen to walk in newness of life. This is what baptism symbolizes. You were dead, but now you're alive in Christ Jesus. So Christ not only sets us apart, but friends, you need to know this morning that Christ gives us a new identity. So if you're trying to take notes, we have said Christ is in you, and because Christ is in you, you are set apart, and now, secondly, you have a new identity. Look at verse 13. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So again, really affirming what we just said in verses 11 and 12, but note the emphasis on our current standing. You were dead. 
You used to be not set apart. You were a sinner with a record of debt against you that you could not pay. Friends, listen. Our sin comes with a great cost. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. Our sin caused us to be separated from God and the punishment was eternal death, doomed and damned, separated from this God who created us to worship Him and enjoy Him forever. But the good news of the gospel is that God loved you and me so much that He sent His glorious Son, Jesus. And because of the cross, Jesus has paid our debt. He died on the cross he died our death and he paid the debt that you and i can never pay on our own so if you ask jesus to be your lord and savior if you surrender your life to him here's what happens his death becomes your death and his life becomes your life you have died to your sin and now you are raised to life because of jesus's death and life and work on the cross verse 14 says that this way that your debt the record of debt has been set aside because he nailed it to the cross so this is the new identity you have in christ you have moved from dead to alive you have moved from sinner to forgiven you have moved from slave to free from broken to redeemed Jesus took our sin, he nailed it to the cross, and the wrath of God that you and I deserved, he took it, and he took sin and death to the grave, but God raised him up, and I want to tell you that the same God who resurrected Jesus Christ is still in the resurrection business today. Even if you are here in this place and you are dead in your sin, Jesus stands ready to radically make you alive. He's still in the resurrection business, friends, through Jesus Christ and the good news of this gospel. This is our hope. And y'all, listen, we don't need anything else. This is it. The spirit of the age would say, yeah, yeah well, all this Jesus stuff is great, but you also need this. <laughs> Jesus plus a great family. Jesus plus success. Jesus plus a good, healthy life. Jesus plus a, a great, thriving church. And the lies that these things will somehow bring us true contentment. Oh, but guys, listen to when I say this. The spirit of the age happens when we try to find contentment in anything other than Jesus Christ. The moment you are finding your contentment in anything other than Christ, you are falling victim to the spirit of the age. Though that may be a moving target, you see that it's the same spirit, the same principle, all the way back to Genesis 3. You remember the devil talking to Eve said, oh, listen, God's holding out on you. If you want the good stuff, you need to eat from that tree that he told you not to. And from the garden all the way to our modern present day, the devil's been selling that same lie. Oh yeah, God is good, and you certainly should believe in God, yeah. But real life is going to be found when you get this or that. 
that's when everything will better be better if you can just get this or that settled out whoo then things are going to be great and the moment we buy into that friends we have been taken captive by the spirit of the age but you need to know friends the spirit of the age is deceptive and empty and it will enslave you you will spend your life chasing and running toward a finish line that doesn't exist songwriter jason isbell says in his one of the, i can't remember the name of the song but he said i thought that i was running to but i was running from have you ever felt that way you think you're going to make it up the mountain if i just keep going i'm going to get there one of these days but when you really stop and think about it friends we're just running further and further from the only real source of help that exists for us that's christ the spirit of the age keeps us on a treadmill running from thing to thing to thing trying to find a contentment that is impossible And I'm judging by your silence that maybe you feel this a little bit today. But brothers and sisters, take heart. Because this text ends with a great truth. That Jesus triumphs over the spirit of the age. Jesus triumphs over the spirit of the age. Read verse 15 with me. It says, He disarmed the rulers and authority and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. God has won the victory forever and always. The spirit of the age is exposed for the foolishness that it is. It is exposed for its emptiness and its deceptive lies that it produces. Because friends, listen, we have Jesus. And once you taste and see that the Lord is good, immediately you know there is nothing better than him. Oh, see, I always, get, I always get feedback on this one, but I'm going there anyways. Some of you sugar-free people, I'm so glad you're way healthier than me. But I love it when my friends who are like Diet Coke drinkers, like nobody's business, when they drink a real Coke, they're just disgusted with how sweet it is. Oh, it's just so sweet, I can't even drink it anymore. And I know that's going to be some of y'all, but whatever, I don't believe you. Can I tell you what it is when you've been drinking a Diet Coke for a long time and then you open up a real one? It's like a, it's, it's sugar and it is amazing. <laughs> and you will find yourself saying, why in the world was I ever dumb enough to drink this other one? And, you know, and then you're like, yeah, because I don't have heart disease, Rusty, pray about it, all right? And I, okay, thank you, diabetes, it's fine, it's fine. But can I tell you so many of us are living with like off-brand spirituality instead of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world who died on the cross to purchase your soul so that he could give it back to us to live in freedom and glory and grace with him. And we have settled for second, third, fourth, fifth, way down the list best. Oh, but today, Jesus would say the answer to your problems it's not a new political candidate. It's not a raise at your job. It's not getting over this health issue. The answer that you're looking for all 
already resides inside of you. And it is God himself who today is saying, live for me. Acknowledge me. Be rooted in me. I know all these other stuff, all this other stuff is real, right? Like all this other stuff hits us and affects us and it makes it hard. But can I tell you what? Don't lose your roots. Don't lose your roots. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. How about a little bit newer song? You can have all this world. Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. Lord, we're thankful for your presence here. We're thankful for the gift of you. God, that you are not an out there God, but you are a God who even though you are the majestic, only, incredible, holy God that we sang of earlier, you reside in us and you stand ready to impart your truth to us in a way that changes us and makes us who it is you want us to be. So Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would indeed let this truth sink down deep into our hearts and our souls. God, that by your grace, you would let us walk in this truth in a real way. Jesus, thank you for what you've done and what you're going to do. It's in your name we pray.